Welcome to the International Trade Minute, quick-fire trade news, where time is trade. We are your go-to podcast for rapid and concise updates on trade and law, designed specifically for busy trade professionals. Sponsored by Rydal Law Firm and prepared by seasoned trade attorneys, our twice-weekly podcast packages your essential trade updates, all in the time it takes to enjoy your coffee break. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, and join the conversation with a network of like-minded professionals on LinkedIn. Where time is trade, make every minute count. In today's episode, we're unpacking a series of developments that highlight the tightrope walk of compliance in international trade. Let's get started. We jump into a new development affecting U.S. exporters and their European customers. As the European Union tightens its restrictions on Russian iron and steel, U.S. exporters are facing new inquiries from their European partners. The key question, do their products contain Russian metals? This is in response to the EU's efforts to curtail the import of Russian iron and steel. Scott Garrity, a consultant with the Export Compliance Training Institute, highlights that most U.S. companies should have no legal trouble certifying this. But the implications are broader. Legal expert Bailey Reichelt from Aegis Trade Law points out that such certifications don't need to be part of every contract. Overdoing it could actually deter potential customers, especially those not dealing with trade-controlled items. Garrity notes that U.S. companies have already received such requests. The advice? Understand why the certification is needed. If it's to comply with EU's sanctions on Russia, and if the certification is accurate, there shouldn't be major issues. However, Reichelt warns against overusing end-user statements and certifications. It's about balance, not under-controlling or over-controlling, but being precise. This also touches on the challenges for freight forwarders. These entities often find themselves in a complex position, dealing with a myriad of items and unclear regulatory responsibilities. Both Garrity and a senior official from the Bureau of Industry and Security emphasize the need for proactive export compliance. Up next, we have an intriguing case of international trade enforcement. On October 18th in Norfolk, Virginia, CBP officers made a significant interception. They seized a shipment of deuterium cylinders worth over $175,000 destined for China. But what makes this seizure noteworthy is the violation of nuclear non-proliferation export licensing laws. Deuterium, a stable hydrogen isotope, has diverse applications in military, industrial, and scientific fields. Due to its sensitive nature, exporting it to countries like China requires specific licenses. The story unfolds over several months. On August 22nd, the CBP's National Targeting Center identified this shipment. Then, a meticulous inspection on September 6th revealed 10 cylinders of deuterium and one cylinder of deuterium silane. The Bureau of Industry and Security in August had already expanded nuclear-related export controls on China and Macau to include deuterium. This expansion is crucial to understanding why the shipment was red-flagged. On October 11th, BIS classified these shipments as prohibited for export, leading to the swift action by CBP on October 18th. This coordination highlights the effectiveness of interagency collaboration in enforcing trade regulations. Mark Laria, the Norfolk Area Port Director for CBP, emphasized this seizure's significance. It's not just about enforcing laws, it's about intercepting shipments that could be illicit or potentially dangerous. This incident serves as a stark reminder of the complexities and responsibilities in international trade, especially when it involves sensitive materials. CBP's vigilance in this case illustrates the critical role of border and trade authorities in maintaining global security. On to our next story, we're talking about a significant update in export enforcement. The Bureau of Industry and Security, alongside the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network, has issued a new alert to financial service firms. 
This alert, which is the third since June 2022, contains critical information for identifying export control evasion. The agencies have introduced a new key term, FIN 2023 Global Export. This is a specific identifier for suspicious activity reports, focusing on non-Russia-related export control evasion. It follows the earlier term, FIN 2022 RussiaBiz, used for Russia-specific violations. Matthew Axelrod, BIS's top export enforcement official, states this new term will significantly enhance their investigative capabilities. The goal is to thwart efforts by entities trying to circumvent you, S export controls. This latest code is particularly vital for tracking violations involving high-tech items like advanced semiconductors, quantum technologies, or hypersonics. These are often sought by nation-state adversaries to bolster their military capabilities, posing a direct threat to U.S. national security. The alert advises financial institutions to provide comprehensive information in their reports. This includes details about the products, transportation, trade financing, accounts, and entities involved. The more detailed the report, the better the enforcement agencies can act. The joint alert lists 13 red flags to help financial institutions spot potential evasion. These include unusual payment methods, transactions involving entities with little web presence, and inconsistencies in customer information. This development is a clear signal of the U.S. government's commitment to robust export control enforcement. It's a reminder for businesses to stay vigilant and ensure compliance with export regulations. Next story, we're discussing a significant enforcement action in the realm of anti-boycott compliance. The Bureau of Industry and Security has levied a fine of $44,750 on Forta, a U.S. synthetic fiber manufacturer. This action comes after Forta's admission of violating BIS anti-boycott regulations. The issue unfolded when Forta, in preparation for a trade show in Abu Dhabi, provided certifications to its freight forwarder. These certifications stated that their products were not made with Israeli labor or raw materials. This compliance with a boycott-related request goes against BIS regulations. Forta's fine, significantly reduced due to various mitigating factors, must be paid within 30 days of November 3rd. Failure to do so could lead to the revocation of their export privileges for a year. In a notable move, Forta admitted to the violations. This is part of BIS's broader strategy to eliminate the use of no-admit, no-deny clauses in settlements. Matthew Axelrod, the top BIS export enforcement official, emphasized the critical importance for all companies to have anti-boycott compliance programs. This is essential to recognize and appropriately respond to boycott-related requests. The BIS acknowledged Forda's cooperation in the investigation and the company's own remedial measures post-discovery. This cooperation played a key role in reducing the penalty. BIS highlights the imperative for companies to report any receipt of certain boycott-related requests. This is a requirement regardless of whether the company intends to comply with them or not. Reporting forms and more information are available on BIS's website. This case serves as a stark reminder for businesses engaged in international trade to be aware of and comply with anti-boycott regulations. It's not just about avoiding penalties, but also about adhering to international trade ethics and norms. Next, we're diving into a topic that's crucial for businesses operating globally, banking transactions in the context of sanctions. Richard Newcomb, a former director of the Office of Foreign Assets Control and currently a lawyer with DLA Piper, has highlighted a significant trend in international banking. Multinational banks are increasingly avoiding transactions that have any nexus with sanctioned jurisdictions or entities, even when payments involve sanctioned regions or people but are either authorized by a general license or not subject to restrictions, banks are opting out. This conservative approach reflects the complexities and risks associated with sanctions compliance. 
Newcomb, speaking at a conference hosted by the Wilson Center, suggested that companies could engage in enhanced due diligence. This means thoroughly checking all sources to confirm whether a party is sanctioned and meticulously recording these efforts. A key aspect of compliance, as emphasized by Newcomb, is knowing not just your customer, but also their owners, directors, managers, and even their customers. This deep dive into the supply chain is essential to identify and address potential red flags. Banks have long been cautious about relying solely on general licenses issued by OFAC for transactions in sanctioned regions. They have sought more assurances, including comfort letters, especially for humanitarian-related transactions. This development underscores the increasingly cautious stance of the banking sector in a world where sanctions are a dynamic and complex part of international trade. For businesses, it means a greater need for vigilance and comprehensive compliance strategies. Last story, but definitely not the least, we delve into a complex issue, the challenges in transparency in government sanctions decisions. Navigating the process of being delisted from a sanctions regime is becoming increasingly challenging, with concerns about transparency and due process being raised in both the U.S. and Canada. Trade lawyers, including former U.S. sanctions official Richard Newcomb, have highlighted that individuals and entities often lack adequate explanations for their sanctions designations. This hinders their ability to challenge these decisions effectively. Newcomb, speaking at a Wilson Center conference, criticized the growing politicization of U.S. sanctions decisions. He pointed out the reliance on government intelligence for adding individuals to the specially designated nationals list, even when such information can't be disclosed in a legal context. Jessica Horwitz, a Toronto-based trade lawyer, echoed similar concerns about the Canadian process. She noted the difficulty for designated individuals or entities in proving their non-involvement in the activities that led to their sanctions, especially when evidence is protected by disclosure laws. The U.S. has seen a surge in delisting requests, particularly related to the extensive sanctions against Russia. This has brought the issue of due process and transparency to the forefront. Canadian official Stephen Burridge acknowledged the need for careful consideration in making sanction listings public, emphasizing reliance on open source material over intelligence. In the U.S., officials like Michael Cass Antony and Rachel Fredman Lingas from the Treasury Department highlighted efforts towards reviewing past designations and considering the impact of sanctions. This situation presents a complex balancing act for governments. On one side, there's the need to safeguard sensitive intelligence and maintain national security. On the other, there's the fundamental principle of due process and the right to a fair challenge. As the global landscape evolves, particularly with regards to sanctions, this is a topic that demands careful attention and dialogue. Thank you for joining us on International Trade Minute, your rapid source of trade updates for busy trade professionals. And we hope to have you back for our next episode. Don't forget to subscribe.